Welcome to Every Moment His, a podcast dedicated to contemplating how God's preached Word impacts every moment of our lives. This sermon was preached at Holy Cross in Kearney, Nebraska by Pastor John Rasmussen. The older I'm getting, uh, the more I'm realizing how differently I experience Christmas than what I did when I was a kid. Uh, Really the way that adults and kids experience Christmas differently. Um, So for example, uh, how many adults need to be told on the day of Christmas Eve, you need to go play outside for an hour. Like, just get out. <laughs> like, typically it's, it's the adults who are not the hyperactive ones uh, who are just circling the Christmas tree, you know. Uh, maybe somebody did that today. Just go outside. Thankfully, it was a nice day, and you can get some of that energy to go outside. Um, or how many adults uh, cannot be trusted with Christmas presents underneath the tree because they're going to, like, shake them, shake it until it breaks, or maybe peel back uh, the wrapping paper. Maybe some of you do that, but uh, mostly that's a thing kids do. Um, And I I think this is especially true with the question of, what do you want for Christmas? Uh, When I was about 10 or 11, if you were to ask me what I want for Christmas, I'd have like a ready-to-go list by like Thanksgiving. I'd probably have it in my pocket. I could give it to you, and I'd have a list of the latest and greatest things I was coveting. Uh, you know, like the latest video game system. And I remember me and my friends at school would just get together and, and, and just kind of speculate, forecast a little bit about what we're going to get for Christmas. Uh, kids are pretty good at, at telling you exactly what they want for Christmas. And, you know, I think that's probably because, unlike adults, um, you know, they don't have a lot of resources. Uh, kids are typically broke. Uh, they're not very good at saving money if they have it. And, uh, and they can't just get in the car and go buy something, right? Whereas adults, we're a little bit more self-sufficient. We provide for ourselves. Uh, if we have a problem, a need, we can solve it usually. Uh, so if you were to ask me, what do you want for Christmas? In all honesty, I'd probably say, I don't know. I think that's something that adults often do. Now, maybe as an adult, you've got something that you want for Christmas, but a lot of times, as adults, we don't really know what we want for Christmas because we kind of have everything we need. So, for example, uh, I was out shopping with my wife uh, a couple months ago at the mall, and uh, I saw at Old Navy that socks were on sale. And I thought to myself, you know, I've been living with holes in about half of my socks uh, for past couple months and just haven't done anything about it. So while I'm here, I'm just going to buy some socks. Boom. Don't have to ask for them for Christmas. Uh, my sock problem was solved. It's, it's like that with adults, right? Is that if we have a problem, we'll typically solve it if we have the resources to do so, whereas kids, not so much. So with Christmas, we don't always know what to ask for if somebody says, what do you want for Christmas? Now, as we take a look at our reading from Isaiah chapter 7, uh, we have this guy named Ahaz. He's the king of Jerusalem and Judah. Uh, and he, he really doesn't know what he wants. He has a big need, but he doesn't know what he wants. And God even says to Ahaz, what do you want, Ahaz? Anything you need, I'll give it to you. But you notice in the text that he's not really sure what he wants. Let's look together at the Scripture. Verse 10. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz, ask a sign of the Lord your God. Let it be deep as Sheol or high as heaven. But Ahaz said, I will not ask and I will not put the Lord to the test. 
Now, it's helpful to know a little bit of the historical background going on. Uh, you should know that Ahaz was going through a crisis. In fact, the whole nation of Judah and, and the city of Jerusalem were going through a crisis. Uh, and we read about this in history, uh, that, that this crisis was that uh, this little nation of Judah and Jerusalem, they had been, uh, about 200 years ago, they had been separated uh, from Israel, the kingdom in the north. The ten tribes of Israel had kind of seceded and became their own nation. And now Israel in the north had gotten together with Syria, and they were pressuring Ahaz uh, to join this coalition against this greater nation, Assyria. And Ahaz doesn't want to go along with it. He kind of knows better. It's not going to work out in the end. And so there's, there's this mounting pressure and tension that Israel and Syria in the north are likely going to invade Jerusalem and depose Ahaz from being king and put another king in his place that will join into this coalition. And so Ahaz is in a real pinch. He's probably not sleeping well at night. And so having this great need, God sends the prophet Isaiah to him and says, any sign that you want, Ahaz, God says, any sign that you want, just ask and I'll give it to you so that you can be assured that I am with you in this crisis and that I will deliver you. Ask anything. What do you want for Christmas, Ahaz? Anything. And notice what Ahaz says. He says, I'm not going to ask God for a sign. Now, this sounds a little pious, right? Like he's saying, well, it says in the book of Deuteronomy that you're not supposed to test the Lord your God, so I'm not going to ask for a sign. But really, Ahaz is showing a lack of faith, a lack of trust. His heart is all tangled up in idolatry and the worship of other gods, and he doesn't actually trust God. He actually has a different plan. You see, the, the plan that God was giving to Ahaz in his crisis was Trust God, stand firm, God will deliver you. But Ahaz has a different plan already in the works, and that plan is going to be to reach out to Assyria, this great nation, to protect him. Not a good plan. In fact, it backfires in the end, and Assyria doesn't just destroy Israel in the north and Syria to the east, but it comes, and uh, in the book of Isaiah we see later, that the king of Assyria is right at the gates, about ready to take over Jerusalem. It's not a good plan. Uh, Ahaz is refusing to accept this offer of trust that God's given to him. Even though Ahaz completely misses it, even though he doesn't know what to ask God for, even though he refuses to ask God for a sign, God knows exactly what Ahaz needs in his crisis. And, and, and this is the, the, the love and the goodness of God is that even when Ahaz misses it, God loves his people. And so God says to Ahaz, I'm going to give you a sign. You don't want a sign? I'll give you a sign. Let's read on. Verse 13. And he said, Hear then, O house of David, is it too little for you to weary men that you weary my God also? Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel. See, God knew exactly what Ahaz needed in his crisis. And even though Ahaz doesn't know how to ask for it, God gives it anyways. God gives this gift of a child. Now, this was fulfilled in Isaiah's day through the literal birth of a child, most likely Isaiah's own child. If you read the book of Isaiah, you'll see that Isaiah has these kids with really weird names. Um, 
And, and these kids are like, they're kind of a testimony, a sign, both of God's judgment, but also of God's enduring presence and His faithfulness to His people. And so this child who will be born will be a clear sign, an indication that God is present, that He's faithful, that He will be with Ahaz and the whole people of God in this crisis. Come what may, God will be with them. This is the gift that Ahaz didn't even know that he needed. He didn't even know how to ask for it, and yet God saw the bigger picture, and God knew what he needed and gave it to him. Emmanuel, God with us. I mentioned before that I don't know what I want for Christmas. I have no idea what I need for Christmas. But I've realized that, you know, the best gifts that we can receive are often the gifts that we don't even know we need. But somebody who loves us has been watching us day in and day out and watching us, observing us, they see a need we have that we don't even know we have and they give us a gift that meets that need and when we get the gift we say, that's exactly what I needed. Didn't even know I needed it, but I did. Uh, so for example, this Christmas my wife got me a Fitbit. These things have been around for a long time, but I'm always kind of behind on technology and I guess I, I got one now. Um, and it would have never entered my mind to get a Fitbit. Um, I'm getting closer to 40. I think my wife is watching me, observing me. She's like, I'm going to get this guy a Fitbit um, before his metabolism slows down. Um, and so uh, she got it for me two weeks before Christmas, too, which, by the way, is a great time to get a Fitbit. Uh, so, like, as I'm eating all the candy and the cookies and all the sweets, like, I'm also getting my 10,000 steps in. And as I'm in this kind of anxious, kind of, you know, trying time for pastors, you know, busy, busy time, I'm also going to bed a little earlier because my Fitbit's going to yell at me if I don't get enough sleep. Um, it's a gift I didn't even know I needed. But when I got it, I thought, ah, oh, that's exactly what I needed. Why didn't I have one of these? Um, she also got it for me for free, uh, <laughs> which doesn't take away from the specialness of it because... The way she got the free thing is special. Um, it came through our insurance, our health insurance. Uh, our health insurance apparently wants people to have Fitbits so we're up and moving and they expect to pay less for us if we're, you know, fit. So anyways, free Fitbit. But I think my wife knows something about me. She knows that there is no way in the world that I am ever going to go through the kind of seven levels of hell, right, of administrative red tape to get the free thing. I'm just not going to do it. Like, I'm going to try it. It's not going to work. I'm going to say, nope. Don't know what my username and password are. So she did it for me. And that in itself is a gift. She saw me in my need uh, and she got me the Fitbit. And so now I'm trying really hard to get those 10,000 steps. Um, it was a gift I didn't even know I needed, but once I got it, I thought, thanks. That's exactly what I needed. And as we think tonight about Emmanuel, God with us, I believe that Emmanuel, God with us, is the gift that we as the human race, like this is what we need. And we didn't even know it. God looks at us in great love, for God so loved the world, right? He loves us, and He looks at us, and He sees us in our confusion and in our need, and He knows exactly what we need, and we don't even think we need it, but we do. It's Emmanuel, God with us, God to come and to be with us in the person of Jesus Christ. I want you to think with me tonight. Every one of you here has a problem or a burden or brokenness that you're dealing with. 
hands down. We can seal it, right? You know, smiles, Merry Christmas, all that. But all of us carry heavy stuff. Um, And we all have problems, right? Problems that we would want God to solve for us. Problems that we might eventually bring to God and ask God to help us with. I mean, for one, we all would like this pandemic thing to just be done, right? Um, And at this point, it's like Delta, Omicron. It's like a fraternity now. It's like all these different letters. And we're just ready to be done. And, and, you know, I think we've all experienced the the pandemic at different levels, different levels of grief and loss, you know, but we're just ready to be done. Uh, But maybe the problems for you are just maybe more personal. Like maybe you're here tonight and you're dealing with just pain and chronic illness in your body or in that of a loved one. Or this is maybe a time of grief and loss for you, a painful time, and you carry that heaviness in your heart. Or maybe you are suffering from, um, from, from a marriage that's just imploded, or, or maybe a marriage that's on the rocks, or a relationship that's ended, or, or maybe you're struggling with an addiction, or just the consequences of an addiction in somebody else's life. Or maybe you're dealing with just that vague sense of just listlessness and purposelessness, maybe clouded by depression and anxiety that won't go away, and you just kind of wonder, what is even my purpose? Or maybe you're just tangled up in debt. Whatever it is, I mean, we all have these burdens that we carry. We're pretty good at hiding them sometimes, but they're all there underneath the surface. You carry those burdens with you. So thinking of that burden, of that problem that you struggle with, if you could ask God for anything this Christmas, what would it be? What would you ask Him for? Now, the thing that you would ask God to help you with, to resolve in your life, the struggle, the crisis, right? God sees it and God knows it, and it's important to Him. But God's able to see the bigger picture, to even see a bigger need that you have. Maybe even a need you don't even know that you have. God sees it and God knows it, and God has given you a gift that maybe you didn't even know you need. That's Emmanuel, God with us. God sees us in our pain, in our confusion as humanity, and God has given us that once and for all gift of Emmanuel, God with us, God to come and to be with us, God to know us and to struggle and to suffer with us. That is who Emmanuel is. That prophecy that was given to Isaiah was not just fulfilled immediately in Isaiah's day, but as so often happens in Scripture, you have a prophecy fulfilled immediately in a very specific way, and then later in Scripture, God expands it out, and He fulfills that prophecy in a very cosmic way. And so in Isaiah's day, yes, there was a child born to the young woman, likely to Isaiah and his wife, and this child was a sign of God's presence, Emmanuel, with us in that time, in that day. But later in time, God gives uh, an even greater fulfillment to this prophecy where he gives a child, Emmanuel, God with us, born of the virgin, not just for Judah and Jerusalem in that day, but for all people of all time, of all places. As it says in Matthew, that you shall bear a child, you shall call him Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. He will save us from our sins. 
Do you know what the single greatest problem is in your life right now? Single biggest problem in my life. It might be that thing that you were thinking about a moment ago, but the truth is that the greatest problem that you face in your life, the greatest problem I face in my life is our sins, hands down. Um, our kind of growing secular culture really doesn't have a category for evil or to even call things wrong, but it's not able to actually explain um, this thing we call evil. And yet, as Christians, we understand there is this alien thing, this thing from the outside that has infected us that's called sin. And sin means that I want to be my own God. I want to be my own authority. I want to be on my own. I want to do things my own way. And I'll just live with the consequences if I have to. That's the greatest problem that you'll ever face as a human being, myself included, every day is, is our sins. Because Scripture tells us that our sins separate us from God because our sin is basically us saying we want to live in a world without God on our own terms. And sadly, if we persist in that, God will actually give us what we want. And it's a sobering thought because, I mean, can you imagine not only going through the problems of this life, but going through the problems of this life alone and cut off from God? And if you can imagine how awful that is, I invite you to imagine how beautiful Emmanuel is, because Emmanuel is the opposite of that. Emmanuel means God with you in your sin, God with you in your struggle, God coming to be for you and not against you at your worst point. If you can imagine yourself at your worst point, the worst, most ashamed place you've ever been, that's actually where God meets you in Christ, and that's where He even lays His life down for you, for your sins. You see, Emmanuel, first and foremost, means that He will come and He will bleed and suffer and die and give His life for the biggest problem you have, and that's your sins. And that act of love upon the cross separates anything that would ever separate you from God so that now, baptized and believing in Christ, it says there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And if you've got that gift of Emmanuel, that means that you're actually able to face all the other problems and difficulties that will come with a different perspective. You don't face them alone, but you face them with Emmanuel, God with you. I've heard it said before that, you know, in life, you're going to suffer either with Christ or without Christ. Suffering is inevitable. It's part of our broken human experience. And that suffering will either be with Christ or without Christ. It's not an option. It's just how will we suffer? Sadly, some people will be resolute in choosing to suffer without Christ. And, and the sad part is, is that when we suffer without Christ, ultimately we suffer alone and our suffering is meaninglessness. Life's hard and then you die. And none of it makes any sense or means anything. But for the one who suffers with Christ, it's different because even as Christians, when we suffer, and, and, and you know what that suffering is for you, when you suffer as a child of God with Christ, you may not know exactly why you're suffering, and you may cry out, why God? But the promise is that you don't suffer alone. 
and that ultimately your suffering will not be meaningless, but rather God is able to take the worst, most broken pieces and wrap them up into His bigger purpose to wipe away every tear and to make you more like Christ. Christian doesn't suffer without purpose, even if we don't know why, even if in this whole life we don't know why. And that's the gift of Emmanuel, God with us. If you got the Bible, just kind of hold it up. Um, I want to kind of show you something. Go to Genesis chapter 1. It's easy to find, first book of the Bible. Um, did you know that the, the whole plan of the Scriptures is all about God with us, God with you. And this is one of the most misunderstood books, one of the mis most misused books. Um, we need to understand the purpose of it. The uh, first chapter of Genesis, what is the picture that we get? We get a picture of God with us. That was God's plan in the beginning. That's why we all exist. That's the purpose of being human, is to be with God, right? And of course, if you read on, you see that we just made a huge mess of that. But as you continue to flip the pages, God is resolute in bringing about God with us. He doesn't let go of the mission just because we botch it and mess it up. God continues. Every page of this Bible is about God with us. As God rescues His people out of their slavery in Egypt and He brings them into a new land. Why does He do that? He does that for the sake of God with us. That's what the temple and the tabernacle, that's what Israel is all about, is God with us. And as we continue to read the prophets and, and, and all the words of the Old Testament, it's all leading up to this pinnacle point in the Gospels of God with us, the Word made flesh, God to come and be with us in the person of Jesus Christ. He died for you to be with you. He rose from the dead to be with you. He ascended into heaven and has sent the Holy Spirit into the hearts of His people to be with you and not just be with you but to be in you, to dwell in you through whatever life throws at you. And as we get to the very end of the Bible, book of Revelation, once again, the beautiful picture we see is God with us. It's the whole plan. Look with me at Revelation chapter 21. Once again, easy to find. It's the last book of the Bible. Second to last chapter, Revelation 21. I want you to see God's plan of God with us. Chapter 21, verse 3. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is what? With man, with humanity. He will dwell with them, and they will be His people, and God Himself will be with them as their God. That's the plan. It's a beautiful future that God has promised for all who belong to Christ is God with us forever. But of course, now, in the meantime, we're not there yet, right? We're not yet there where we enjoy the fullness of God with us, but in that suffering, in that struggle, in that pain we have now, we need desperately more than anything to have God with us. And so right now we live in a time of invitation, of God constantly calling out to each of our hearts and saying, God with us, God with us, do you want this? It's open for anybody who will receive it. Let's go over to Revelation chapter 3. That's on page 1030. 
And in Revelation chapter 3, we see this invitation clearly given. And, it, you know, it's interesting is that the invitation here is given not to those outside the church. Certainly the invitation is given to all people, but here in this particular text we're going to look at, the invitation is actually given to those within the church uh, who have disconnected and who have forgotten about God with us. So look with me at chapter 3, verse 14. Uh, at this, these beginning chapters of Revelation, you have these seven letters uh, to the churches in Asia Minor uh, in modern-day Turkey. And we get to the end. The last letter starts in verse 14. It's uh, written to the church in Laodicea. And, and this is, these are the, the words of Jesus addressed through John the Apostle to the church. And, and here's how it goes. Look at verse 14. It says, And to the angel of the church in Laodicea write, The words of the Amen, the faithful and the true witness, the beginning of God's creation. And this is what Jesus says to his church. He says, I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. The literal word there in Greek is vomit, but it just doesn't sound that good in English translation to say I'm going to vomit you out of my mouth. Um, but yeah, pretty intense words from here, from Jesus, right? I mean, these are not like Hallmark reading kind of scripture verses, right? Uh, but look what Jesus is doing here. Jesus is really seeking to define the relationship with a church that had grown kind of lax and lukewarm. Um, Jesus is basically saying to his church, I'd rather have all of you or none of you, but not the mushy middle thing. And so Jesus is crying out to his church and, and saying, I'd rather that you be hot or cold, but none of this lukewarm stuff. Now, in verse 17, we, we see that this church of the Laodicedans, this church was kind of like me on Christmas, like, I don't know what I want. I don't think I need anything. And, and here the Laodicedans are kind of in the same way, saying, I think I'm good. I don't think I need anything. I think I'm all set. But look what Jesus says. Jesus sees a need that they didn't even know they had, and Jesus addresses that need. Verse 17, for you say, I am rich, I have prospered, I need nothing not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. Jesus shows them that they have a need they didn't even know about. And he says in verse 18, I counsel you, here's my advice to you, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich because you're not rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself because you're not clothed right now and you didn't even know it. And the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and solve to anoint your eyes so that you may see because you think you see, but you don't. Now, these are kind of harsh, biting words, but I want you to see verse 19. Those whom I, what? Love. That's you. That's me. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. God didn't love us, he wouldn't call us out. He'd just let us keep going. But he loves us enough to show us a need that we really have that we didn't even know we had, and it's Emmanuel, God with us, received anew. 
And I want you to see the beauty of the invitation here in verse 20 because like in our human relationships, we might snub somebody or ghost somebody or write somebody off enough that they just won't invite us into their friendship anymore. And God could certainly do that with us and yet as much as we forget about Him, as much as we only come to Him when we need Him, as much as we kind of have a casual, lukewarm relationship with Him, once again He comes to us in verse 20 and He says this, He says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. That's Emmanuel right there. That's God with us. Him with me and me with him. That's what God offers to each and every one of you. Some of you are eager for this Emmanuel because you have Emmanuel and God is inviting you into a deeper, more intimate experience of God's love for you. Some of you have maybe grown kind of lukewarm and just kind of distracted and, you know, meh, right? Um, but maybe tonight the Lord's got your attention again by the Holy Spirit, and this is a, a pivotal moment for you to hear that knock and to come in and to once again have renewed reconnected fellowship with a God who loves you, who wants to be with you, who wants to be with you not just in the bad stuff and not just the good stuff, but all the in-between. Uh, honestly, maybe some of you are here and you're like, no, I'm good. I don't need a manual. Kind of got other plans already. Um, but I want you to know very clearly that anything that you do not place in Emmanuel's hands will be taken from you eventually. It's only those things that we yield to him and give to him that last. And maybe you're walking a path where you're saying, I only want a little Emmanuel, you know, just, just enough to give me the Christmas feels, right, you know. But, but not enough it's going to mess with my life, right? Because here's the thing, if Jesus comes in, he's going to mess with some stuff, right? Because he loves you. Because he wants better for you. Uh, but Jesus didn't come and, and enter this world and, and pour out his life and, and pour out his blood and die and rise from the dead so that he could just have a little bit of you, or even most of you, but so you could have all of him and he could have all of you. That's what he wants for you. And in the end, that's the only thing that lasts. And so if you have ears to hear, um, hear that word to you. God invites you to return, uh, to experience Emmanuel as often as you've wandered from it or despised it or snubbed it. It's yours for the taking. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus Christ, you are the Word of God incarnate. You are the very Son of God, Emmanuel, God with us. And all of human history hinges on you. And you are its fulfillment and its goal. We pray, Lord, that this evening that hearts, every heart here, would be renewed by you, called back to you, uh, brought into your intimate fellowship to know your love that passes all understanding uh, in the midst of the sufferings, in the midst of the disappointments and the hurts and the failures. Uh, may they each here, Lord, this night have Emmanuel, God with us. In your name we pray. Amen.